Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. While while you were drinking it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't drink a huge amount of rosé, but in preparation for this, I had a Tuscan rosé a few nights ago. Cool. And, well, uh, so that's what I'll compare it to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, uh, if this was, if you were blindfolded, you would think it was white wine. It's not, not very rosé like. I drank a well, lot I've of had white. My first... I wouldn't think so. Like mine was very, it was much tarter than most, like any white that I can think of. So I wouldn't have. Actually, that, I, I mean, I, I would, I could, I just had a sip of it. I could see this being like a, uh, like a tart Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really good. <laughs> you did a good job. It's such an it's such an interesting. Also, like rosé of Tempranillo is such an interesting choice. What what was that? What was was that? What was available, or did you make a decision to to do Tempranillo? Uh, yeah, no, that was just the grapes we were able to buy. We didn't anticipate making our first wine for another two or three years, but we had the opportunity to buy these Tempranillo grapes from Robert Clay Vineyards and Mason. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Was yeah. With Mason also, but yeah, in Mason, Texas and decided to go with this because so many Texas wines, especially made with red grapes, just end up being so tired and having no acid and not yeah. refreshing despite living in Texas where you want everything to be refreshing. Right. And so we, Took it in a different direction. But yeah, you don't really see a lot of rosé made out of Tempranillo. I'm not really sure why that is, but yeah. It seemed to work out pretty well. Uh, by the way, I've, I started recording, so... Uh, of course, yeah. got to get it rolling. This is, yeah, this <laughs> is the show. Uh, everybody, welcome to Tasting Anarchy. We've got a, a special guest this week. It's Ricky from Altamarfa, our, uh, one, one, of, one of the few winemakers we actually know <laughs> so uh but yeah we, we're really excited i i've kind of teased this over the last couple of months since since i bought uh, a couple of bottles of this that we were going to have ricky on to talk about his uh first wine his first commercially available wine and uh and just kind of get an update on altamarfa and how everything's going there's been there's news uh because things have things have changed to quote uh the Kunstler cast, the, you know, the world is is different than earlier this year. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought I thought it'd be a good good uh, idea to get an update from kind of a different part different part of uh, the working world than where Mason and I are from. You know, we're both yeah. kind of city slickers and desk jockeys, so well, be I'm, a good I'm, idea I'm, to see I'm what's going on in the wine world. Both, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think we we started covering the the rosé so for everybody who you know is just joining uh this is altamarfa's first commercially available rosé it's rosé of tempranillo it's called laser cat it's got a great label uh it it's very our generation i think uh for yeah. the label it, it yeah. just looks really it's good it's definitely a label generation that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely it's definitely uh, a label for the internet age i think and uh i, I really like it it's it's definitely memeable uh, and I just had my first sip. I think it's very good. I, I think I was recording when I compared it. I, th- I said I, I could see this being 
like a tart Sauvignon Blanc. It's very good. It doesn't have like, you know, the, that kind of grassiness that is in Sauvignon Blanc a lot. It doesn't have that. It does have some of the fruit flavors, maybe tart cherry or something like that. Uh, but it's, it's really good. I like it. I, I'm very pleased that I was able to get it. I think there was only how, how many bottles was it? I think it says it on the label here. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Which, which number is your bottle? Um, let's see. 41 of 144. Yeah. I had one in the seventies, I think. Nice. Yeah. Not, not much of it. That's for sure. I wish we had been able to produce more, but this year, this year we should be buying more of these same grapes and going to do the version two of this wine and hopefully we'll be able to make more than the 12 cases this time. <laughs> Hopefully. We'll okay. see. Well, well, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about the process of making it? This is your first commercially av- available wine. So uh, how is this different than when you were just making wine for yourself? So, I mean, when I made wine a few times before this, which let's say three times is how many times I did that. I bought frozen grapes that were sent to me in a bucket from California And I basically opened up the box, let them thaw out, threw some yeast in there from a packet and let it ferment and then squeezed all the skins out with a mesh bag and then put it in like, you know, 14 total bottles. So very much a home winemaking situation. This, you know, we got to buy these grapes from a real vineyard that we went to and saw and... Katie and I helped harvest the grapes, brought them back to the winery. Um, This is direct pressed, meaning we threw the entire cluster of the grapes with stems, everything into the press and just pressed it like that. Um, We pressed all the juice into a big plastic tank and let the juice brown, which was sort of something I had seen uh, people who make white wines uh, specifically Chardonnay, this is done sometimes is one sort of method is letting the juice brown so that anything that's going to be easily browned by oxygen sort of go away. And then mm-hmm. you have fermentation happen after that. So you don't get any of those like brown apple flavors, but it sort of makes the wine more robust in terms of holding up against oxygen exposure in the future. Huh. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, and I think so far, I mean, that's opening up. I'm having a glass with you guys is this wine was harvested last July and was bottled in October. So, you know, we're not even a year in to this wine's life in a, in the bottle and opening it up every time. Like last time I tasted one, I think was like two months ago. And every time I'm like, oh, is it going to be different this time? Is it going to be, you know, what what's going to happen? It's, it's very, you know, so this wine was made without any added sulfites, without any added anything. But what that means more than anything is it, it could be different every time you open it, you know, right. or not. It might stay like this for the next seven years. I don't know. But hmm. Okay. Well, I, I have another bottle of it. I wonder how long I want to hold on to that. Because it's a uh, it's a collector's item now. I was yeah. gonna say how long, like how long are you pl- like how many are you planning to hold back like kind of in a like a personal aging experience? Do so you like have this, any I mean, plans I have, on that? I think eight bottles. 
<laughs> left, you know, just cause we made so few of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I, I'm go both ways. I, on one hand can be very nostalgic and try to hoard things. But on the other hand, I'm getting better. I think at just being fine with things being all gone. So mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd like to keep some of this first batch over. Let's say I'd be really happy if I could drink the last one in five years just to see what oh, happened that old. Yeah. But uh, we'll see if I make it that long. Or, you know, I don't know. There's, there's not that many. So, you know, if, if, right. if the circumstances are right to drink them all, they might be gone before that. Yeah. Just the way you were saying that it's like, let's see if I make it that long. It's like, wait, are you planning not to live that long? And then see if the wine makes it that long. I'll be yeah. around in five years. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Like, I've got leukemia guys. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Not that I know. Of. All good. Good. Yeah. good. Well, hopefully yeah. not. But that, I, I think that would be kind of interesting too, to, to have one bottle of this and maybe have like over the course of several days, have your first vintage, your second vintage. If you do a third one, the third one, yeah. um, and then probably in five years from now, you'll, you'll be making stuff from Altamarfa. Oh, definitely. I, th- I think so. I think we will probably get our first grapes. I wouldn't say probably. I would say it's likely we'll get our first grapes and make a little bit of wine from our vineyard next year. Oh, that's, that's that'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And how probably long? not very much. Who knows what it'll be like. But I think yeah. we'll, we'll probably try to do that next year at least. That'd be really – that would be really cool. If, it, if it's released, I'll, I'll definitely be uh, – knocking on uh i think it's i got this from the heights grocer actually so if they have have that one they they sent it out up here to dallas so i I was very pleased with that well and i think with our Um, next release which is actually probably going to be the red wine we made from these same grapes that we harvested a week later oh cool the full you know red tempranillo that that will probably try to sell a lot more direct that people can just buy it from the website and and we'll ship it to you Okay. Um, that'll be sort of the new, new addition, new learning for us for that wine. And I don't know when that's going to be. I haven't tasted that wine since October when I put it in a barrel. We have one barrel of it. So a little more than the rosé, but not, not much more, probably about 30 cases. Um, but hopefully if that all goes well, I, I, I could see us releasing it maybe like at the end of this year. Oh, cool. Yeah. How, how long, how long do, is that a typical length for a, uh, like a, just a regular red Tempranillo? So it, it depends what you mean by a regular red Tempranillo. It, you know, if you're having Tempranillo from California or Oregon, it probably is released 18 months after it's harvested, I would guess, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So it might, it might have a, like a, a good year in just aging. And then you have the fermentation time and bottling and sort of, you know, stalling, whatever, but right. you know, the, the most famous and prevalent Tempranillo in the world is from Rioja in Spain. And a lot of that stays in, in barrels for three years. That's true. Yeah. You've got the Reserva, the Grand Reserva exactly. and all, all that. Yeah. Exactly. I, I forgot but, about that. Yeah. Tempranillo is, is one of the longest aged, you know, wines, varietal wines, uh, period. Mm-hmm. Well, and what are you, uh, are you, cho- now 
I just know this from being in Texas and, and knowing what's available to me is, you know, Tempranillo grows pretty well here. Uh, a lot of people are growing it. It seems it's pretty popular. And um, so are you, you're choosing this because this was available to you or are you planning to do Tempranillo at your location as well? So we've planted about 30 varieties at this point at Altamarfa and zero of them are Tempranillo. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, do you think you're, do you think you're too high uh, or what? Yeah, uh, I, I do like Tempranillo. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the Tempranillo from Texas, I would say I don't really like, but the the issue with Tempranillo at our location is Tempranillo buds really early in the spring. That's why it's called Tempranillo means early in Spanish. Okay. Uh, and you know, there's my dog is barking in the background. She likes Tempranillo too. Um, <laughs> so, I got my dog, my dog's sleeping here on the floor. He's, oh, yeah. he's tired. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, and, and at our altitude, 5,400 feet, we definitely have a spring frost is a, is a risk. So it, that's a grape that, you know, there's been some that maybe are more mid ripening that I'm sort of trying out to see what happens, but that. That's a definite, that's sort of one of the earliest grapes. So I, I probably won't even try it, but okay. yeah, no, this is, well, here. This, this Tempranillo is, was purely just cause this was the grapes. Someone basically offered them to us and it seemed that, you know, we jumped on it. I think that's, that's a uh, great luck. And it's, it's, uh, it's cool that you're making that. I mean, you're, you're much more involved in the wine world. I, I follow you on Instagram and I see like a lot of the connections and stuff that you're making. You went to, um, uh, the Texas, uh, Texom and, uh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great way to make connections. And I think that's, that's real cool that it's going to really help you, you know, with knowing people in the area. And actually I've made connections through you, uh, with, uh, 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 Rowdy Bolin at Bolin family yeah. vineyards. That was, that was through you on Instagram. And then I went out and helped him harvest and, uh, Very cool. Yeah, it was great. It's it's just kind of a cool, the internet, you know, the internet <laughs> exists. It's just, it's a, it's a cool thing. And, but that's, that's neat that you're able to make a connection. Somebody recognizes that this is something that you're, that you're getting started doing. And then they offer you the opportunity to use some grapes that they have. I'm, I think this is an outstanding wine. Now that I've had a couple more sips of it, there's, there's a uh, grapefruit, I think is, is a, uh, like a dominant. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that longer flavor though. It's it's like once you swallow it, it's sort of that grapefruit bitterness a little bit toward the end where it's got the citrus, but it's the it's more on the it's tart, but also it's got that kind of grapefruit bitteriness on it. Yeah. I, I like no, it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Definitely. And I, 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 it, that uh, uh that length that you said, the like longer flavor is is probably what I'm most excited about in this wine. Cause a lot of rosé and a lot of white wine, a lot of wine in general is just sort of like, Hmm, it's tart, it's fruity, whatever. And it just kind of goes away. And this, you know, for whatever reason, I can't take credit for it, but it, it, the, the flavor lasts in your mouth long enough that it makes you want to take another sip. So it doesn't go away kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's really well done. I think it, I think it's really good. I, if your next vintage of this is this good, this is kind of a, this is a winner, I think. I think you'll be able to market this real well, especially here in Texas, because it is refreshing. And you're right; there's not, there's not a very, there's not very many other than vignettes. I, I can get good vignettes, but those are tend to be heavier and not as refreshing. So I exactly. think this would be those are generally, you know, higher alcohol, fuller bodied, lots of oak going on with those usually. Whereas this is, yeah, 
Or Alberino. Uh, Alberino is kind of along the same lines where it's just not quite as refreshing. Yeah. Well, and, and it's funny, actually, this, uh, so I guess I never answered your, finished answering your original question, but we direct pressed this and it fermented in a flex tank, which is a polycarbonate tank. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, for, it, it only took about a week to ferment. It's only about 10, 10 and a half percent alcohol. Um, and then we put it in a stainless steel barrel for like two months, two or three months, and then right into bottle and that's it. So no, no Oak is, I, I would say another big thing with this, whereas, you know, lots like the Viognieres gave as an example is, is like, you're see a lot of Oak in that, which generally in my opinion, makes things less refreshing. Right. Yeah. Well, it does, it, it does tend to add those other flavors, vanilla, which is yeah. kind of a heavier, less refreshing flavor, or like the sometimes tobacco and spices and things like that, that yeah. is more, they're warmer flavors. They're not cool flavors like citrus. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's good. And now there's one thing too that I, I, that Mason kind of touched on earlier, and that is that, uh, there is residue in, in this wine. And this is, is this from the, the, the way that you made this, or is that, is that something that's normally taken care of by the sulfates or. So so uh, what we're talking about is the sediment deposited in the bottom of the bottle, right? mm -hmm. Right. So that is a combination of two things. Um, generally that sediment is called lees as sort of a catch-all term, but really what that's made up of is two things. One is tartaric acid crystals. It can be this wine is pretty acid stable. So I don't think it's a lot of that. If sometimes you'll see those in wine and it looks like sort of like crushed glass and that's not really what you see in this one. So I think what this is, is mostly it's just dead yeast and bacteria cells that sort of collect at the bottom. Mm. Um, and all wine would have that unless it is filtered out by one method or another. And there, okay. there's sort of two ways you can filter that out. One is with a filter. So you're pumping through like a, some sort of screen or filtration device. And the other one <laughs> is if you do what's called racking, which is sort of like if you have the wine in a barrel, all that stuff collects at the bottom over time, just due to gravity. And then you, siphon the wine out of the barrel gently into another container, leaving that sediment behind. And if you do that several times over a period of, you know, months or years, you end up with a wine that isn't going to have any of that sediment in it. Mm, Okay. This wine uh, was not racked. And due to its sort of short life before going into the bottle, it was actually still fermenting slightly when it even was bottled. Oh, interesting. Did you have any worry that it would like that it would uh, carbonate or anything like that once you put it in the bottle since it was still the um, the yeast was still working a little bit? So some of the bottles are actually sl- like very slightly fizzy. Um, okay, and that kind of like would, uh, like Chocolina, uh Yeah, it's just like very lightly, very lightly fizzy. Exactly, and that's and that was that was intentional. Um, the reason why either leaving the lees in that that. Uh, bacteria and yeast cells, or even just letting it uh, be bottled before it's completely finished fermenting is when you don't use sulfites in making wine, sulfite is a preservative used to prevent oxidation. Generally, it's sort of its primary use. There's other ways to prevent 
the wine being spoiled by oxygen. And one of those is if it's slightly carbonated, you have CO2 in the wine that can work as a barrier and sort of protect the wine from oxygen. The other thing that those, those yeast and bacteria cells during their breakdown process, which is called autolysis, they actually consume oxygen. So even if you had some oxygen exposure, some dissolved oxygen, when the wine went into the bottle over time, those cells, if you bottle them with that, will actually consume that oxygen. So it won't damage the wine. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. This is actually, this, some of this stuff is familiar to me because I used to do a little bit of brewing and this is a lot of the things that they say in that is to kind of, to create that barrier. And when you bottle to kind of give it a little bit more of a shelf life, you know, things that you brew on your own don't tend to have the shelf life of commercial beers. Uh, and it's, and it's similar things. Those are the same techniques that they say, this is how you can kind of make it last a little longer. Mm -hmm. That makes, that makes total sense. Uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's really interesting. We, yeah. And, um, and are, did you, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I, it's, it's something that's interesting because depending on what kind of wine you drink and what your exposure to drinking wine, seeing that sediment in there, in there for a lot of people is sort of like, Oh, this is new. What, you know, what, what's going on? Is that supposed to be there? What is that versus other people? especially recently mm -hmm. people who are exposed to wine in a very sort of narrow lens, every wine they've ever had is like that. Okay. So it's just sort of like, depending on where your entry to wine was, you're either very familiar with that mm -hmm. and you'd be worried if it wasn't there or the opposite. So it's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I know I've had some reds that do have, they do have sediments in them. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what they are. I know actually Mason, one of the bottles I gave you, uh, that Spanish one, um, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was, uh, Marquise de Toro, uh, oh, yeah. Marquise, de, Marquise de Toro. I think that was it. Uh, Finca Le Finca something, Finca something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, uh, it was, it was a Spanish one. I thought it was really unusual. And I gave one to Mason. Did you ever get a chance to try that? No, I've been holding on to those ones for a little bit. Yeah, I, I would check that out. That, that's interesting because that one did have quite a bit of sediment in it, and it was a very unusual, an unusual wine. I've just never had one like that before. Uh, it had yeah. like a like almost like a meatiness to it, like a like a salty meatiness to it. It was interesting. Um, I did have one more question though about about your winemaking. Yes. Uh, b besides the rosé, are did you use a similar technique for the just the normal red tempranillo that you are that's still aging? Excellent question. So the red wine, actually, we, we ended up, we weren't, like I said, we weren't planning on making the rosé. We definitely weren't planning on making the red. What happened was we drove out to Mason from Houston one weekend, harvested, got the wine going. And then a couple of days later, when we're back in Houston, we got the call that the rest of the block of Tempranillo is also available. So our idea was, okay, let's go back and harvest again and just do the same thing and make more rosé. When we got there, the grapes had ripened further and I sort of was like, this is not going to sort of go with what we already have. So the original plan was to make more rosé and we made like that morning as we're starting to harvest, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do red. So what we did was we harvested all of the grapes into a big uh, picking bin which is like a 
rectangular thing. It's like five feet by five feet by five feet kind of cube. Mm -hmm. And we just left them whole cluster, meaning like the stems are in there, the grapes are still on there. And we put it under a big oak tree in the middle of the vineyard and uh, foot stomped it. We got like a couple people jump in the bin, smash them up with the feet. And then we just covered it and let it ferment naturally under this oak tree in the vineyard for like a week and a half. We actually had um, Chris and Alex, two friends we met during that time who were working at the vineyard. Then I think they're both in New Zealand now working at some other vineyards, but they, we kind of teamed up with them and they did the very like crucial process of punching down, which is basically as the fermentation goes on, the CO2 rises and brings all of those grape skins and stems into a sort of mat at the top mm-hmm. of the wine in the, in the bin where it's exposed to oxygen. And if it's exposed to oxygen, you can have things like acetobacter and sort of spoilage organisms start to grow. So the way you prevent that from ruining the wine is you push that mat, like thick mat. It can be like a foot thick of, great material back under the wine every day or, or multiple times a day. Um, so while we had to go back to Houston to go back to our normal jobs that week, while the wine was fermenting every day or like multiple times a day, they were like by hand pushing that down um, into the wine. And it ended up, you know, turning out very interesting. It's a weird, it's a weird wine. It's, it still could not make it to uh, fruition. I'm, okay. I'm sure it's, it has a very high pH, but, <laughs> okay. but it still tastes quite acidic. It doesn't taste flat like a lot of high pH wines and it has a lot of stem influence, which I tend to like. A lot of people do not. Yeah. But that was sort of tasting it all four or five months ago. Wow. It's actually been almost eight months. That's crazy. Okay. But anyway, uh, Unsure of what that's going to be. I think it has the potential to be great, but it also has the potential to just kind of get ruined and pour it down the drain. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of what's exciting, though, about about trying new things and 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 just doing something a little bit different. Is that yeah, the experiment can go wrong, but it could also go very right. Definitely. And you, you may have something really cool that you know from just collecting ambient yeast from under that oak tree and and then it develops some sort of really unique interesting flavors you mean and wh- whether it's good or bad it's in a learning experience yeah yeah and 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 uh katie and i talked about this a lot when doing both of these wines is that at this point we're just trying to learn it's like we'll buy the grapes and spend the time and if we pour them all down the drain it's still worth it because like we you know we didn't go to winemaking school you have to learn somehow so yeah we're, we're happy if they just end up getting bottled. And then on top of that, you, like you said, you can't expect anything new or particularly interesting to happen without risk. So excited to see how that one turns out. Yeah. Mason, you had a question. So I had several questions. So the first one is, so like, where is the wine stored currently? Like the Tempranillo that you've got going, like, is that, did you guys bring that back to Houston? Is that out at Alta Marfa? Like, so that wine is in one oak barrel, and actually, I have a pony keg too of the little like extra bits. Mm-hmm. Um, is at Dan McLaughlin's winery in Mason, Texas, and he is the owner of Robert Clay Vineyards. Um, he was the one who was nice enough to 
answer a ton of our questions and also sell us those grapes and let us make the wine at his winery. So it's, it's hanging out there. Okay. So then like, and this is kind of more toward the bent of our show. Uh, one of the things that we've heard can be, you know, kind of a heckish process is the label, like getting the label approved. So did you guys have like a lot of issues getting that done? Did you guys use a service or was that just one of those ones where you're like, oh, we'll just fill this form out and it just kind of worked out? So it is certainly a process. <laughs> um, and basically the, the short thing is you need to have certain required things on the, on the label and you submit that to the TTB uh, at the federal level first. And then once it's approved, then you're allowed to s submit it to the TABC at the state level and then they approve it and then you can use it. And that whole process took, uh, I'm going to say like two months, two and a half months. That actually is, is much less than I kind of expected. Yeah. It, I mean, it on, honestly, as long as you, have planned ahead of time, it's not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. the, the issue is if, you know, we, and we got into this situation, there was an event that we wanted to bring the wine to and it didn't end up happening because we didn't apply for the label early enough. But I think that's just a result of us not knowing what was involved in the process and, and not really being ready and also just sort of rushing everything all the time and not being prepared. <laughs> but you know, going going forward, I don't anticipate us having that issue because we, you know we we know. Yeah, but I've also heard that once you've got if you're if you're doing the same thing again, once you have the label approved, you just kind of have to, if like the alcohol is a little bit different, you just change that and you make a note and send that in, and then they just kind of push it through. Um, yeah, I, I've heard I, a couple where it's where it's more difficult, but uh, like I, I, I know that like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I think there's some of that, but also it, it, it's, you know, it depends on what you're changing. Cause that's the thing is if your label changes every year, like if a lot of wine is not even marked with the year that it's made. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, you could literally use the same label every year and not change a word on it. If you wanted to, you're not required to put the year on there. Mm -hmm. You're not, you're, you know, there's no, there's, the basic requirements are actually not very stringent. It's just that if you want to put all this other information, like the AVA and the year and the different things, you have to update it. And, and the update process just due to bureaucracy takes the time. I don't think it's as right. much an issue of they're scrutinizing it. It just, it has to wait in line. Well, yeah. And, and, we, and Mason and I have actually covered this uh, a couple of times on the show. There, Like a few years ago, there was that government shutdown and uh, there was a bunch of people who were ready to go to market with – actually, I think it was beers that we were talking about at the time. They were yeah. they were ready to go to market with these beers and they were like, sorry, government shutdown. It's going to be like six months until until we can actually approve these labels. Yeah. And, and they were like, yeah, but it's beer. It has a shelf life. We've got to get it out. Right. And it was just kind of you – no. Know, Tough luck, you know, better luck well, next time, I guess. That's interesting that you say that because so during this coronavirus times, I've w noticed a few things. One is I ordered some wine that has no back labels on it when I received, meaning no Surgeon General's warning, none of the official stuff. And that could be for two reasons. One is 
they were told, hey, it's not going to happen. Go for it. More likely, they just sort of said, we're not making that much of this wine. We're just going to sell it anyway. And the label will get approved eventually. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, I'm sure they applied for the label. It just, if it's not coming, they're going to sell it and it's going to get drunk up. And what is, what's going to happen? Yeah. So that's one well, thing, thing that I've never seen during normal times. Yeah. And we, we actually, we covered a couple of stories like that as well, where different regulatory bodies, mostly on the state level, just kind of were like, you know what, we're just not, we're not enforcing these rules right now. It's, we can't. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, the other thing is that I, that I saw is, is shipping rules. So, mm-hmm. you know, normally there's very stringent rules on, in, in a lot of things do with shipping alcohol, but it's sort of like, can you ship wine from a retail location in another state? No, you can't generally into Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I have bought wine under those circumstances during this sort of situation. And I, and I assume only it's, it, it's happening just because people are sort of like, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. And I'm not going to get caught. Whereas in normal circumstances, they're more worried about getting caught, I guess is the only thing I can guess, but yeah. it's interesting how things are different. Well, I'm, it could also be, maybe they're doing it now also with the expectation that that law is going to change in the next, uh, legislative session of Texas because the Supreme court has overturned those, uh, shipping laws. And, um, but it's up to the States to now catch up with whatever the, you know, whatever legal deal is. And I guess that's, I was actually thinking about going down to the next session here, here and tell them that, you know, Hey, stop. This is like stupid and old that you, that you're not allowing, like, I can't, I can't order wine. Like there's this particular, I bring this up, up all the time in the show because it, it really sticks in my craw. <laughs> there's this, there's a specific cab franc I want that's from Bordeaux. Yeah. And there's only one importer and they're in New Jersey. Yep. And you can't, and it drives me nuts that I can't order it to here. Yeah. It's terrible. And you, and you, and I'm sure you know why that is the case in Texas, whereas in many other right. states, yep. not yeah, yeah, it, it it is, and you know, some states it's it's more strict actually, and and some some it's a lot less strict, and a lot of it has to do with reciprocal agreements. Like I can I can order from California and from well direct from wineries. I, I can't really order it direct from like a distributor or something like that. But exactly, that's the issue. Yeah, and my understanding of the reason of that is is because of specs lobbying in Texas. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. I think it's a singular yeah, that, that's, reason that they have eliminated all competition, basically. Yeah, I've, I've, that's what I've heard as well. All the specs is, is on the decline here in the DFW. It's Everything's coming up total wine right now. Uh, right. Yeah, well, sort of that's it, – it's sort of we had one monopoly and now you're getting a potentially even worse monopoly, which is <laughs> – Right, exactly. Total wine is – it's nice, but it's huge. But they but a lot of time they don't have what I want. That's that's kind of the yeah. problem that, well, that I'm having with, with them. My experience with Total Wine has been their liquor selection is quite good and their wine selection is terrible, which mm-hmm. is weird because it's called Total Wine, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very normal, like their their wine selection. They have good stuff, but it's like I want something – I want Laser Cat, for example. Like yeah. I want very. I want a big Texas section. I want something – I want these interesting things that are different and – and they, you know that's just not the audience they cater to, and that's fine. No, it's not. We, but it's interesting because Specs actually all, has always had a very extensive selection. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting Specs is an interesting store. It, it kind of 
it's like it's it's like a mix of having like good stuff, but also seems kind of low scale, like low, like uh, not low scale, like uh, like sketch a little bit. Like it's in, it's usually in a bad part, of, at least around here. It's in like a bad part of town, so it's low rent. And, yeah, low rent. That's that's the that's the term I'm looking for. Yeah, so <laughs> like they've got it. They've got a decent selection, but it's always like not in the best area. It, I, I'm not really super comfortable all the time, uh, like hanging out and like reading labels of stuff because it's everybody's trying to rush through to get to get stuff. So it's just kind of a different experience. Like Total Wine's a lot more relaxing, but their their Texas wine section or their uh, Washington or Oregon or you know, actually, I've been trying to look for new, like New Mexico wines lately because I hear that there's some decent stuff coming out of northern New Mexico, but. Uh, they they like those kind of oddball obscure things are just not available there. And Specs does have it sometimes, but usually it's like a somebody who can special order it for me. That's that's really the best place to get it is like a local wine shop. Definitely, definitely. It's interesting that you mentioned New Mexico, um, because this year we are going to be buying some grapes from New Mexico. Oh, oh really? Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. I've, I've heard like up in uh, like Colfax County and. Um, I can't remember what the other name of the county is, but kind of up there closer to the mountains where they've got some decent elevation. Uh, I've heard there's really good stuff. I've even heard that they're starting to put in some of the kind of interesting German varietals like Gewürztraminer and uh, Blaufrankisch and things like that. I don't know if that's true. I've just heard, that's what I've been hearing from like people talk about it or at least saying that that's the climate for it. Very so cool. yeah, I'd be, I'd be really curious to try that. Uh, it's not, not a place you think about for that kind of thing, but you know what? No, nobody thinks of uh, Davis Mountains as for wine yet until yeah, you guys true. hit the scene and, and start making it big. Very true. And New Mexico actually has a much older winemaking history than definitely than the Davis, Davis Mountains. Um, I don't want to jinx it just yet, but basically the, the vineyard we're buying grapes from is a 25-year-old vineyard. Really? Uh, near Truth or Consequences. Oh, mm. okay. And... I'm very excited about that just because the, the number of 25 year old vineyards uh, in Texas is, you know, not many, three, not many. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just, just to be, to be able to work with old vines and at some altitude, and this is going to be white grapes. I, I'm very excited about it. I was going to say, do you know the varietal that you're going to get from them or like, are you getting yeah. multiples or we're, kind of holding it to the vest at this Blanc, point? Chenin Blanc and Chardonnay. Ooh. Hmm. I do. I like Shannon Blanc. Well, those are both uh, both uh, champagne grapes. Uh, well, Shannon Blanc is not a champagne grape, but Chardonnay is not. It is not. Oh, okay. They do make a lot of sparkling wine in the Loire Valley from Shannon Blanc. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that. Maybe that's my. Yeah, you, uh, you probably have I do, I do like Shannon Blanc. A lot of sparkling wine from Shannon Blanc, and 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 something long term is we would really like to experiment trying to make some sparkling wine. Okay. Um. That that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. But so that's something we're looking forward to is getting those grapes this year and learning. Is there any is there any sort of like weird interstate regulations for ordering grapes from out of state or are you going to do the winemaking in New Mexico? Uh the winemaking will be done in Texas. I don't okay. think there are any weird rules. Oh, okay. That's that's great. Yeah. yeah. It, basically, you know, moving wine across state lines, uh, all sorts of things. Grapes 
nothing as far as I okay. Know. I was going to say I oh, think that, they, that's that's awesome. I think it's only like Hawaii and uh, California where they have like those weird food like fruit restrictions that you can yeah, bring in. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Well, you so know, like I actually had a weird a weird experience with that because I was getting some like uh, patio citrus fruits, and a bunch of places won't ship citrus to Texas for some reason, which yeah, is weird. I actually have interacted with that recently because I. Uh, one of my friends just bought a house in Houston here and I bought him a few citrus trees and we planted them. And if you buy citrus at a nursery in Houston, for example, there's like a, a weird, you know, circle that's drawn around. It's, I think it's mainly around Houston, the Gulf coast and like East Texas. Okay. You're not allowed to transport it to other places in Texas outside this area. And I think it, there's some sort of disease that is affects citrus here. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I I end up getting one. Like they they did send me this mandarin. Uh, that's just I'm gonna put in a pot and bring inside in winter. But uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It's weird when you like start experiencing these kind of going like, why can I get this one but not this one? And, yeah. and maybe it's just some of them get the disease, some of them don't get the disease, and that's that's kind of the thing. Okay, well let's let's shift gears real quick. Uh. I have a couple of other notes that I wanted to hit. One of them is I wanted, we did talk a little bit about Corona times. And one of the things that was impacted by Corona times was, uh, Marfa, uh, Alta Marfa fest. Yeah. So, so what, what happened with that? Uh, you know, I was all prepared to come out. I got the message from you guys. And, uh, was there, were you just worried that people wouldn't show up or was there a liability issue that you were concerned with? What, what happened that, uh, you guys decided to postpone it or cancel it for this year. And then next year we'll do it. So what, what we originally were planning is we had a thousand new vines to plant and we were going to have potentially like 60 people, friends, family, internet people, people from planting last year, uh, from all over the country come and plant all these vines and eat a bunch of food and drink wine and have fun. Um, Jeff Davis County, where the uh, vineyard is located as well as the adjacent counties basically uh, closed all hotels, Airbnbs, everything, all businesses, that kind Mm -hmm. of rural rural places where you don't want a bunch of people from all over the country coming in and infecting people when you, they have no medical infrastructure basically. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that, that the reason for canceling was that is it just, it would have been very irresponsible to have people coming from all over the country, especially, you know, probably more than half the people who were going to come would have had to fly. You know, it just, it, it, yeah. it became not, it, it wasn't going to happen. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. that, and that, that's kind of what I suspected that it was just going to be just, it would be just also I, I, last time, I, not very many people camped there last time. I think I did and two or three other people and, uh, that the logistics of trying to get an Airbnb or a hotel or whatever. And it's in a very rural area. There's not a, not a huge amount around there. And um, just getting that many people to uh, have to ch- have to figure out a place, not inside of a hotel or Airbnb to stay. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Especially, especially if the County's making the things. And then also, yeah, you're right. I, you know, that, I, that didn't really occur to me until now is that you do have a rural County. I don't know what their numbers are out there for, um, infected or testing positive or whatever, but they, they probably don't have much because they're probably not interacting with each other that much. Yeah. And, zero, uh, zero cases in Jeff Davis County so far. 
Yeah, so it makes sense. I mean, like even up here, we don't have that many. I've, I've actually, you know, I've run a, uh, a big libertarian event in, uh, well, here, I'll plug it right now because uh, that's what we do every time for the show. Uh, Childerberg, the uh, May 23rd through 26th. It's no longer at Emma Long Metropolitan Park in Austin because Austin has uh, closed that park until the 30th. Uh, then our backup, which was, I can't remember what it's called, but it was a uh, Travis County Park that also got closed until the 14th. And fortunately, the lower Colorado River Authority uh, is not closing their parks for whatever reason. And uh, I called around and they were able to accommodate us. So we'll be at Mule Shoe Bend Recreational Area uh, on those dates. And uh, we hope to see everybody there. So we'll still be holding our event. Um, you know, Texas opening back up. If you don't feel comfortable coming, that's fine. But uh, Mason and I will be down there. I know, Mason, you've been having some trouble with flights. Yeah, like and, uh, not even like trouble with flights. Like they just were like, eh, there wasn't enough interest in the the direct flight you booked. So we rerouted you. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, I've been getting a lot of that from attendees who are flying in from, but mostly from the East Coast. Nobody coming out from the West Coast seems to be having an issue. But oh, yeah, it's because the West uh, Coast is like trying to kick everybody out as fast as possible. The East Coast is like, no, no, yeah. no, don't go anywhere. Don't bring that shit back to us. <laughs> <laughs> that could that could be that might be that might be the case. But yeah, I know like a couple people from uh, Pennsylvania got rerouted uh, through Charlotte, actually, same as you. Um, and I, uh, I would and, be surprised if there aren't there isn't somebody on the flight like that's coming. Maybe you and Rolo will be on the same flight. I think he's actually coming in roughly the same time as you. Oh, that'd be Into hilarious. Dallas. Like I just yeah. turn around and it's like Rolo sitting there. It's like, dude, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and uh, although I don't think he's going to be coming anymore, but our comedian guest is a, uh, his flight got rerouted through Phoenix for some reason from New York. So, you know, weird stuff, but that's our plug for that. So yeah, I, I do. I understand Ricky, the, the, uh, trouble with gatherings during this time of year. Well, this time of our <laughs> life, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so very kind of a weird experience and maybe, maybe we'll close out the episode on that. How, how's, uh, things down in, I guess what Houston is what mega city three. So I think that's the third biggest city in the country. Uh, how's everything going down there with the uh, Corona lockdown? Like up here, we've been locked down, but from like my perspective, you know, other than I'm working at home now, instead of going to the office, things are pretty normal. Like I went swimming in my pool today. Like I, I was out uh, doing yard work and stuff like that. I, we, the restaurants have started to open up a, a bunch around here. So things are starting to get back to normal. There's still a lot of lines and stuff like that, but uh, you know, same things in DFW seem pretty good at the moment. How's, uh, how's things down in Houston? Um, so I've been out actually at the vineyard for like five of the last six weeks. Um, oh, right on. And a lot of that was due to, so we didn't have the 60 people. So me and my, uh, roommates and then my parents were there. We planted all thousand vines. Wow. <laughs> Just us. So we planted for nine days in a row. Wow. Yeah. Okay was brutal but we got it all done and and i can confirm that those vines are have sprouted and are growing now so that's exciting um so for me it's been a weird thing i'm in houston now um where i've been since yesterday but i've really spent most of my time out there and i've been working remotely doing my office job there and then really it's been sort of a weird situation because 
it's been the biggest opportunity I've had in the last four years to spend an extended period of time out at the vineyard and get to get a lot of work done and see things develop on a day-to-day basis and get to be there without having this sort of frantic feeling that I normally have when I'm there from Friday night at midnight until Sunday at noon every weekend. Right, trying right. And frantically in basically 24 hours. It, it was really nice to be there for an extended period and get to sort of like work on things at a more manageable pace. So that's interesting because this, this whole situation, because, and, and I may end up being permanent uh, work from home now, uh, seeing what my company's starting to talk about is that they're, they're realizing that they don't actually really need an office, but, uh, and, and we're all working very well from at home. It's like, it started my wife and I talking a little bit more about, uh, making a a sooner move to buying what we were we were kind of talking about is kind of more re- vacation ish property but like i've i've always been really interested in like permaculture and that kind of stuff so like buying a property where i can kind of like start setting that sort of stuff up and let it take care of itself yeah and and go out every once in a while and, and do what needs to be done and as things get closer to that and you know mason you know my plans for childerberg town mm-hmm. so like as as this has started kind of evolving and it it just seems less and less necessary that I live where I work or live where the company is I yeah. guess and um, uh I think a lot of yeah well I think a lot of people are starting to realize that is that you know maybe maybe they don't actually need to be in one of these gigantic you know like I mean Houston for sure Dallas for sure these gigantic metroplexes yeah uh where a lot of people just they you know withstand you know an hour of traffic every day to get to an office and do the same thing that they're doing at the office that they could really do from a home office or even just a lot of times from a laptop yeah. uh and yeah, you know I, i'm a software developer so it's a little bit different than I, I i could do it from a laptop but it, it's easier if i have like a whole my whole setup but yeah, yeah. I, I think that's interesting because and in your situation being able to spend an extended period of time out at the vineyard but still being able to do your work. And, and that's a very remote vineyard too. Like, yeah. Uh, did you have, to, I mean, do you have a good internet connection and everything up there or, or are yeah. you able to do most of it offline and then just log in when you need to? Yeah. I'm lucky, lucky enough to have very good internet connection, which I was unsure of, you know, I'd never spent that much time out there. I've never had to work remotely out there before. That was sort of a source of anxiety two months ago when we were sort of planning, okay, we're going to go, how long are we going to stay? Not sure. And it ended up working out really well. I was able to work very effectively and I'm sort of in the same boat. I, w- I would be pleased if I got to stay mostly remote after this, because it would allow me a lot more freedom to do what I want to do in my personal life rather than being so glued to the city traffic office building and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's kind of, you know, a lot of, what I, you know, Mason's actually still going into the office. So I feel bad talking about this in front of him. (laughs) (laughs) I know to be, to be 100% honest, I have absolutely no desire to do my current job from home. I, yeah, I couldn't maintain the mental discipline knowing I could be in the office. There's a, there's a huge difference. Like if, and like, I, I don't want to make light of what's going on and, you know, everything like that. But, you know, if, if it was like truly like life threatening, life threatening, like, you know, like 
Virginia didn't close until much later than most other places. And then like our draconian governor, like super cramped down because like people went to the beach and weren't practicing social distancing, but it was like, you, you saw the pictures and it was mainly baloney. Like it was just bad angles and stuff like that. But like, I, I've not changed really anything about my life in regard to it. So like, I would be just very frustrated having to do the job I do from home just because it's so much of my job is customer service focused. So like I would just be answering the phone all the time. And like, I just would feel like I'd like on the weekends, like I have to just get out of the house for a certain amount of time, even if it's like bad weather, it's cold and stuff. And I, I just have to get out of the house. So like it would drive me insane, like to work from home and it not be like a different job. Like I just couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I get it. That makes sense. I mean, it took, it took me probably until the last two or three weeks to like really be okay with working from home. And then when my, when my team leads was like, Hey, you know, guys, this might be permanent or at least very, very long. And, uh, once he, and like, that was the first time I was like, actually, you know what? I don't really mind this so much. It's not, it's not bad being here. Uh, but yeah, that's 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 kind of the interesting thing. So uh, this uh, this will be our last thing before we go ahead and wrap up. Uh, what is going on for future future news? I guess for Altamarfa. So lots of future news. I already mentioned <laughs> uh, we're we're getting three tons of grapes from New Mexico, um, mm-hmm. and what the, that represents basically 180 cases of wine. I was about to ask, and that is, yeah. man, that's fantastic. Whereas in a hundred, we're in 2019, we sold 10 cases. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's a big step up. And obviously so tasting all, all anarchy is going to have to buy a lot of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Counting on you guys for at least 150 cases. So. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you can probably, you can probably count on me for at least two and I'll, and I'll do maybe at Childerberg three, I'll do a Altamarfa tasting. Yeah. Well, you know, I, that, all of that sounds good. <laughs> um, so yeah, New Mexico grapes, um, we're going to be buying at least one ton of grapes, hopefully from Robert Clay Vineyards again, which is where LaserCat is from. Uh, and maybe more, but definitely that. And then probably the biggest thing is we uh, just closed on Friday on a property in Fort Davis to build a winery facility. Oh, cool. That is yeah, big news. Wow. That yeah, is very big news. So we are going to be just putting up a metal building there as soon as possible. You know, things are rolling already. The building is ordered. We're working with the contractor to get the slab put in and everything. But we're kind of going full speed ahead on that so that we can get our winery permit and really make the transition to doing that full time as soon as possible. That's great. That's re- that's going to be really awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. Congrats, man. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's uh, today I was looking at tanks and sort of winery equipment online and, you know, putting stuff in the cart, actually, like I'm going to buy it for the first time rather than. When that ends up happening and you guys move out to Fort Davis full time, that'll this will be that'll be your jobs then is you'll be you'll be winemakers full time. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Wow. No, part of this process being out there for an extended period of time has made me uh, dispelled a lot of doubts about a moving from the city to a rural place, 
And then also just making that transition, you know, I'm very ready for that. Yeah. Very I mean, it honestly sounds like a dream come true to me. Like that's a, that's one of my, I don't know if I want to do it commercially or not, but one of my, my big dreams in, in life is to have a, have a homestead basically where I can, I could do that kind of stuff, grow stuff I want to grow and, you know, make wine, that kind of thing. And that's, it sounds awesome. That's, that's it right there. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's, that's, uh, all the questions I have on my list. Mason, do you have anything else you want to cover? Um, I had one. Oh, so, um, with this, like just the pure volume of grapes that you're getting is, was that one of the big pushes for like getting the property at this point in, in Davis County, like to have a place to actually handle that volume of stuff? Or was it just kind of coincidence that it all worked out this time? Definitely. I mean, we would not have purchased the grapes from New Mexico without, you know, concurrently getting the winery facility set up. Okay. Yeah. That's why I was like, man, where are they going to like, I was wondering yeah. where you were going to yeah. do all the, you know, like that's kind of why I was asking about the, the other, um, like where you guys kind of did the, or did laser cat and it's, Right. unannounced sister, I guess, Tempranillo. Um, yeah. And then I was like, where are they going to put all that? And then you're like, oh, hey, shocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a winery. <laughs> yeah. That, that's so, that's so cool. That's, that's, that's really, really cool. I, I, I'm excited to come out for uh Marfa Fest next year. Well, yeah. I, and I, I think uh, this help, help you got. I was going to say, yeah. I think we we might know where Childerberg 3 might kind of be near. It's like, hey. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I think we have to, 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 I think, yeah, that would be that would be great. I don't want people stomping around on the property. No, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> but, no, not like on the property, but like renting yeah. place in the county, and then being like the winery that we go out to. Oh, that's actually that's not a bad idea. Uh, fun. Yeah, that would be fun. Maybe, maybe we would do like a Childeberg, uh three and a half or something like that because there's not really any cities or anything near there, and so it makes it difficult for people to get out there. That's what makes it more that much more interesting for the dedicated cult following. That, that's true. Yeah, that's true. It is. It is not a cult. So <laughs> we do. We do need people to prove themselves. Uh, yeah. So okay. Uh, I, I think that's that's it. Uh, Ricky, do you want to go ahead and give any sort of plugs? Uh, well, I mean, right now, I guess I, I, you and you and me and Mason, you drank all yours, but we have the few remaining bottles of Laser Cat. Uh, are, do you know where they're going to be able to find uh, the the Tempranillo sister, or is that still you're still waiting to see how that turns out before uh, driving people to marketing? Yeah, the only the only thing I'll say is just you know altamarfa.com got the blog. You can put your email there to get email updates. If you're interested in getting that wine at the time, go there and give me your email address. That okay. and all right. Other other than that. Saying. I don't know when the wine's coming out. I don't know anything, but yeah. <laughs> right. If you do those two things. I'll I'll make sure that you're aware of it. Okay. That's so awesome. You know, uh, you know thank we'll you very be much for the wine, anyway. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I I stock I stock the Instagram anyway, so like I I know when things are going on. Um, <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming on the show and joining yeah. us again. It's it's uh it's it's helpful to us on the show. Plus, I'm also always interested in what's going on with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super appreciative that you guys let me come on here and talk all my nonsense. So hey, that, I, like our, that's, it's our nonsense too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what we, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the other thing I really like about working from home is I could, I could spend all day at home, like reading about wines that I want to get that are not available to me. 
and <laughs> but uh all right, well that uh, that's it. Mason, want to go ahead and do our plugs real quick? Yeah, so you can always follow our shenanigans on Tasting Anarchy on Twitter, tastinganarchy.com, Tasting Anarchy on Instagram, Reddit, YouTube. Um, you can follow Childerberg, Childerberg.com, Childerberg on Twitter. As Jacob said, uh, Childerberg is still happening the 23rd to the 26th of May. However, it is now in... Muleshoe yeah, Bend Recreational Area. Muleshoe Bend Recreation Area. How far away is that from Austin? Uh, about Indiana? 40 minutes. It's okay, 40 so it's only about 40 minutes outside of Austin. So not that much longer of a trek for some people. Actually, it might be shorter depending on which way from, uh, you know, toward Austin you're going. Um, yeah, that's so true. we're going to be out there. I'll be out later on the day on Saturday because my flights got pushed. Um, but, you know, for those who are coming out, come out. The guys from, you know, Treason's going to be out there. Um, we'll be out there. I'm sure Car's still going to come. Uh, who knows about Bird? Hopefully he'll be able yeah, to make Bird, it. Bird's not coming. But, ah. uh, but, Car, but Car will be there. I think uh, it's the guys fighting exist. the bullet are going to be there. Yeah. Rolo will be there. Uh, I should make a list yeah, of all the people yeah. that I know are coming because there's yeah. a lot of people coming. So we'll be doing all sorts of fun stuff, hanging out. I'm sure there's going to be Wiffle Ball Tournament, beer tastings. Jacob and I will have some sort of wine out there. Um yeah, I've got, I've got some uh, I got some good Texas wine that I'm bringing down, so Sweet. people can people can try that out. See see Texas versus well, if they drink wine, then they can they, they'll know what Texas is versus other places. There's there's some great Texas wine, you know. Uh, for those of you who listen to the show for a long time, you've already heard this, but I went out to D.C. for a wine event that was uh, the theme was American wines not from California, and. Uh, it's a really great opportunity to taste a lot of really interesting wines from places where I didn't I, I knew that they were growing wines in a, in a lot of these places. Uh, There's a few that I didn't know, like there was the the fjord vineyards in uh, it wasn't even the Finger Lakes region of New York. It was this other part of New York that I never heard of. That I didn't know they grew stuff. Great wine, um, but the the Texas uh, offerings that they had I thought were were fantastic. It, and it's the typical Texas wines that you can get here. A lot of Vignet, a lot of uh, Tempranillo. Uh, a lot of uh, Albarino, uh, those types of things, but uh, just good stuff. So Texas does offer a lot of really excellent wine, and uh, I'm going to bring a couple down with us to Childeberg so that people can try it out since they're from out of state, and, and even people in Texas don't don't get them a lot of times. So I uh, look forward to that. Yeah. All right, all right. everybody. All right. Yeah. Stay free. Thank Stay you, guys. Drink it, man. Oh, give me some of that slaw. Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peter's town. Buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Wine, for the you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's Den, he wasn't selling but American gin. 
One soldier want a bottle of wine. He hit that cat for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the order, drink wine. Bye bye. Wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Now I got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine for the order, drink wine. Wine for the order, drink wine.